Welcome to the Desiland Masala Podcast, a look at the diverse Asian, Indian, or Desi cultures experienced in North America by those who are blessed with Desi friends, co-workers, and neighbors. This is episode six, Hindu Masala, and I'm your host, Andy Pierce. There's incredible diversity of beliefs and practices that fit under the umbrella of Hinduism. This will be a more academic take on Hinduism or Hinduisms, because it's important to draw from those who are experts and who have studied Hinduisms. About the terms Hinduism and Hindu, Indiologist Robert Frickenberg says, quote, no one has ever been able to give us a crisp or precise or satisfactory definition, unquote, and Quote, no one can readily show us exactly what boundaries circumscribe the cultural or religious phenomena which the concept purportedly attempts to describe or represent. Unquote. Renowned scholar of Hinduism, Julius Lipner, asserts that there is a common false impression that Hinduism is a homogeneous system, easily defined, which all Hindus acknowledge more or less in the same way. And that was a quote. He defines Hinduism as, quote, a family of culturally related traditions and says there are many traditions, some of whose characteristics overlap in such a way as to enable us to identify each of these traditions as belonging to the same cultural family, unquote. Lipner also points out that it is not necessary to be religious which, which he defines to believe in a god or the equivalent to be a Hindu. So Hinduism is fundamentally a cultural phenomenon. It is widely accepted that Hinduism has no founder, no founding date, nor no central doctrine. Heinrich von Straitenkorn points out that there is, quote, hardly a single important teaching in Hinduism which can be shown to be valid for all Hindus, much less a comprehensive set of teaching, and that uh, what some groups of Hindus believe to be true is contradicted by statements held to be true by other groups of Hindus, unquote. He suggests that the term Hinduism can be used if it is defined as a set of distinctive Indian religions. Acceptance of this is a challenge to the major world religions paradigm, especially Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, because, quote, the culture of accepted multiformity of Hinduism allows for generous liberality and tolerance among the various religions in a way that the others do not, unquote. When the terms Hindu and Hinduism first became commonly used, the words were used to portray everything related to India, everything Indian, and all elements of culture or religion related to the Indian subcontinent. The word Hindu corresponds to the word Indian because Indian civilization emerged from the Indus River area. Von Straitenkron suggests that the word Hinduism comes from Hindu to denote an imagined religion practiced by a large majority of people, despite never existing as a religion as defined by the West. The fact that Westerners perceived an overall polytheistic structure to Hinduism and a unity that does not exist was complicated by the discovered unity 
being highly welcomed by Indians seeking a national identity in their fight for independence in the first half of the 20th century. Aditya Malik suggests that the problem of not being able to define Hinduism is due to the erroneous assumption that it, it is a single religion, but is very different from historical religions due to not being a coherent system, according to Malik. The ultimate issue, suggests Malik, rests with the tendency of others to invent Hinduism in terms of their own system of reference. He argues that Hinduism should be engaged through its own categories and terms. Aspects such as religion, culture, and civilization should not be assumed because the result is, quote, the fragmentation and compartmentalization of a many-layered, complex, and context-sensitive civilization, unquote. Another factor that has misled many non-Hindus and Hindus alike is the creation of Hinduism, quote-unquote, creation of Hinduism by British and Indian writers as they attempted to define and describe it. The British contrasted Hinduism with Christianity and the Christian model of religious belief, so they, quote, invented, unquote, a Hinduism that they could, quote, deal with or control, unquote, and it was portrayed very negatively as a pagan religion in comparison with Christianity. Hindus countered by trying to show that their traditional beliefs and Hindu leaders were equally coherent, moral, developed, and progressive, or even more so. Lipner suggests that the search for Hindu identity is a modern development because previously the different communities such as Jains, Hindus, Buddhists, etc. tended to not make distinctions among themselves on the grounds currently understood and adopted because the term Hindu was not developed as it is now. They felt like they were members of the same ethnocultural family in the context of which they grouped themselves around certain teachings and practices. In pre-modern times, there was no attempt to generalize or define beliefs and practices of Hindus. Lipner summarizes this discussion by asserting that the term Hindu, quote, has no conventional or institutional religious connotation, unquote, and should be seen as mainly a, quote, culturally oriented term, unquote, with its historical, geographical, and racial implications downplayed or disappeared with the spread of Hindu sects and denomination, S-E-C-T-S, denominations around the world. Researcher Ronald Inden quotes T.J. Percival Spear, who suggested that Hinduism is like a vast sponge absorbing all that enters in without ceasing to be itself. The Western love of definitions and neat pigeonholing received a major challenge with Hinduism, and definition by negatives is often used. Indian suggested that, quote, while it is not clear what Hinduism is, it is clear what it is not, that it is not many things with which it may be superficially compared, unquote. Indian also argues that Hinduism is a religion of two levels and two periods, Brahmanism as the pre-Christian religion of the Aryan elite, and Hinduism as a post-Christian religion of the wider population in India. Balmerli Natrajian points out that the characteristics of a practicing 
Hindu are unclear, especially when compared with Islam, Christianity, Judaism, and Buddhism. And assuming that a Hindu is known by his or her practices rather than by his or her beliefs is erroneous. Natrajan asserts that it is not possible to determine a group of practices common to all Hindus. So Hindu is, quote, the toughest religion, religious label to give up, since one cannot give up any particular practice or belief to unambiguously stop being one, unquote. Natrajan also addresses a parallel between American Hindus and American Jews by suggesting that in the same way being Jewish in America is not just about a religious identity, but also an ethnic identity, Hinduism is increasingly an ethnic identity. In India's recent history, Frickenberg suggests that after 1927, a new type of religious system was formed, a Brahmanic and Sanskritic, quote, state-sponsored, unquote, Hinduism, but movements and pressure groups emerged on the outside as well as, as well as they attempted to reshape the existing structures by organizing agitation, petitions, and pressure. Frickenberg also argues that many Christian missionaries relied on the advantages of being under the colonial government and ended up actually furthering the growth of modern Hinduism in its corporate and its revivalistic forms due to the reactions that were provoked and the institutions that were, quote, infiltrated, utilized, and ultimately copied by Hindus, unquote. Frickenberg also asserts that modern Hinduism has taken on the characteristics of a world religion and that the character is, quote, all too easily swallowed and then certified by naive and uncritical servants of Oriental religion in the West, unquote. And that this new religion has developed a discrete form of denominationalism and certain ecclesiastical features which would have been quite out of character with older sectarian institutions of Indian, India's past. When we look at Hinduisms in the West, especially in the US as well as in the UK, its understanding and defining Hinduism is made even more challenging by the new contexts in which Indians find themselves when they emigrate to other countries, especially countries such as the US and the UK with Christian majorities. Maya Warrior argues that the way academics represent Hinduism as diverse and complex is very different from the way Hinduism is portrayed by Hindu groups in the US. Some represent Hinduism as a neat and tidy major world religion with a canon of scripture, common beliefs, and shared practices. The goal is to promote pride in Hinduism and its culture and to counter perceptions that Hinduism is primitive and pagan, according to Warrior. Raymond Brady Williams suggests that while early Hindu immigrants to the U.S. were isolated and therefore maintained their religious identity within their homes, an ecumenical Hinduism developed that, quote, unites deities, rituals, sacred texts, and people, and temples, and programs in ways that were not common in India, unquote. Prema Kurian argues that Hindus in the U.S. tend to be marginalized and invisible and that they have learned from other immigrant groups, such as Jews, how to have an identity and power. Kurian suggests that Jewish Americans in particular 
or a minority immigrant group that faced discrimination, but it achieved prominence through its activism. Many other immigrant groups, such as Cubans, Greeks, Armenians, and Arabs, in addition to Hindus, try to copy the strategies used by Jewish organizations in the U.S. Kurian also suggests that the misunderstandings, negative stereotypes, and lack of recognition faced by Hindus in the U.S. has resulted in American Hindu organizations feeling the need to focus on educating Americans about Hinduism, which has required a focus on, quote, simplifying, standardizing, and codifying that religion, the religion, to make it easier to understand, articulate, and practice, unquote. She asserts that encapsulated intellectual Hinduism has been created in the U.S., which is very different from the diversity of ritual practices and observances that are characteristic of everyday Hinduism in India. This quote-unquote created Hinduism includes identification of the Bhagavad Gita as the main holy book, Hinduism 101 publications, Hinduism FAQs, tracts given at religious festivals, and guidelines about practices of Hindus. Arun Chaudhary observes that in the 1990s in India, the term Hindutva, and that's H-I-N-D-U-T-V-A, began to be used to describe a version of Hinduism that is selective, that selectively suppressed and managed, quote, its highly complex internal difference, unquote, and represented Hinduism as a simple and homogeneous religion. Romila Thapar calls this modern form that was created more for political reasons than religious reasons, quote, syndicated Hinduism, unquote. Chaudhary also suggests that the Hinduism, this Hinduism, gives the type of identity immigrants in a multicultural society are expected to have, but the, quote, unquote, politicalization of Hinduism in the U.S. involves a type of activism that is not congruent with transnational expressions of Hindutva. Chaudhary also notes that the public presence of the Hindu America Foundation in the U.S. has resulted in activism in situations where Hinduism is perceived to have been misrepresented. He notes the challenge of the Hindu America American Foundation's goals of having, quote, a, a coherent and representable American Hindu voice while also claiming American Hindus as pluralistic, diverse, and essentially tolerant, unquote. Shana Sippy highlights the influence of Hindu organizations that have been formed in the U.S. for the twin purposes of, quote, disseminating what they deem authentic, historical, and glorious Hinduism to those who have long misunderstood the complexity, richness, and truth of its teaching, and defining Hinduism from a Western culture that has exoticized and commodified its sacred symbols and customs, unquote. In addition, Sippy suggests that Hindu organizations based in the West try to influence the perceptions of Hindus externally and internally through raising awareness in the political, academic, and civic arenas. Sippy also suggests that academics in the West view the type of Hinduism that has become popular amid the Indian diaspora, or Desis, as not authentic, not as authentic as the, quote, older, more sectarian, regional articulations of Hinduism found in India, unquote.
Samuel Stroop points out that while Hindu religious practice is frequently in the context of extended family or caste, quote, significant regular social interaction with fellow lay devotees is not normally a main or needed aspect of religious practice, and he labels Hinduism as a non-congregational religion, unquote. He notes, however, that diaspora Hindus often seek to engage in congregational practices similar to what is experienced in a Christian church, including in voluntary membership, lay leadership, services, organizational networks, rituals, regular worship times and formats, roles for clergy, and language as a way to perpetuate culture, transmit values, achieve social support, and acclimatize to their new country, unquote. Stroop defines congregations as, quote, social gatherings where lay worshipers interact with each other around religious belief and practice with or without professional leaders, unquote. And he defines satsang, which is S-A-T-S-A-N-G, Sanskrit for truth gathering, as, quote, regular scheduled worship and social interaction with fellow lay religionists, assigned leaders and organizers, but without the necessary, necessarily, without necessarily a formal creedal document or necessarily other documents of an elaborate congregational life, unquote. He also suggests that modernization impacts congregational practices of Hinduisms. Religion is frequently grouped by kinship, location, and national identity, but modernization divides societies into different spheres and multiple organizational forms and units within spheres so that religion becomes distinct from other social institutions such as the state, the market, education, the family, etc., which results in freedom and choices related to religion. He argues that this differentiation and the use of technology combined with the wealth of the middle classes results in, quote, a vigorous spiritual marketplace, unquote. And a focus from Hindu sects on congregational forms that have defined boundaries, membership, social bonds, and laid leadership. Stroop also suggests that religious congregations provide social support in the midst of change, lack of relationships, and other characteristics of modernizing societies, and that religious congregations recruit new members from people already a part of their social networks or based on the testimony of trusted individuals. He also points out that religious decisions in Indian culture are made for individuals only by a husband or senior male or female in the family. Stroop argues that beyond the documented way that immigrants use congregational forms for, quote, ethnic formation, transmission of traditional values, protection from outside influences, social support, and other goals regarding coping and adaptation to social change, unquote. Hindus in India use congregational forms as buffers to outside competition and as effective receptacles for Hindus experiencing new levels of individual choice in the Indian religious market. So that is the end of episode six, Hindu Masala. I hope this has been a helpful insight into the diversity of Hinduisms. I want to thank my producer, Wendy, and thank you for listening. Please follow Desi Land Masala on anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, 
Google Podca- Podcast, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public. Thank you for listening, and until next time, goodbye.